0: Uh, as I recall it Poison Pills he almost got me excited because he started talking about music and uh, I sort of had this uh, monkey on my back to preach about music sometimes it's taken me awful long to get there it's too much research and development or something for my brain but I do want to keep working on that but this was probably one that honestly that was on my mind when this came and I felt like it's something I needed um maybe I should see if I could just write my title up here on the board. Influence by we'll just say whom or what. So what is influencing you in your everyday life? Uh, I looked at Miriam's uh, defined influence as the power or capacity of causing an effect in an indirect or intangible way. I didn't bring any magnets along this morning, but I guess to me, maybe that would be best somewhat described in a magnet. I could have two magnets here and I could put them... One above the table, one below. I have some pretty strong magnets. I get a it's, it's a lot of fun putting those on a tabletop or something. You can make them spin and do all sorts of stuff. And that's influence, right? There's no tangible connection. In fact, uh, I think she caught on, or I don't know if she totally realized it, but my youngest daughter, even some of my older ones, right, for, for a split second, I would be doing that. And they would have to, what in the world, how does this work? Because there's no... There's no wire connecting the two, right? It's, it's this effect. And maybe you could think of that as influence. It's not uh, the power capacity of causing an, uh, an effect in an indirect or intangible way, to sway or change how somebody would do or think things. The act or power of producing an effect without apparent exor- exertion or force of force, or direct exercise of command or control. And there again, When you influence someone, you're not grabbing them by the throat and making them do something. But you're saying that you would appreciate this or you think that's good. And so therefore, you affect their action, not based on force or pressure necessarily, but based on influence. That's what we call the thing of influence. So I think we all sort of know what it is, but it gets sort of complicated when you try to maybe just put it into everyday words. And I have a few other illustrations I'll try to use as we go along. Um, I read an interesting quote in a book that I was reading this week it says those who control the present control the past those who control the past control the future and I would like to say that in, in the world we live in it's fascinating just take something I don't know if this is still true but some years ago I saw a statistic that said about, uh, let's see, I think in the U.S. at that point, roughly 45-50% of people in the U.S. would have believed in a literal six-day creation. Uh, the other 50% would have been different degrees. About 30% of them would have thought God used evolution to create the world where you would have a hardcore of eight, what I call atheistic evolutionists being the 10 to 15%, but those 10 or 15% control the news media, right? You follow what I'm saying? And so if you were to read general media, you would get the impression that very few people in the U.S. believe that God created the world in six days, even though the percentage may be higher than what it actually supposes because they control the future in that sense. And in many other things, I was just reading actually this book was specifically on Bible history and how many historians, even in Bible colleges, are teaching a history that doesn't fit in the Bible and how it's undermining faith, the faith of a lot of people that get involved there, influence in that way. And yet there was, there's a very well-known, uh, can I even say this word? Egyptologist, somebody that studies Egypt, uh, as he studied Egypt with an open mind, he discovered that most of the things that they're teaching in higher education about Egypt are frankly false, and they know it. And they don't even really want to question it because they have created a narrative that they're unwilling to disturb. And so we have this whole influence thing, and that's maybe enough of that. Doesn't affect us, does it? So um, let's do a little test here. Maybe you can help us with a conversation we had at our breakfast table yesterday morning. Um, we were talking about north and south, so which is up and which is down? Anybody want to tell me? Y'all scared now, huh? North is up. North is up. Thanks, Jason, for being vulnerable. Uh, how many of you would sort of tend to think north is up? They're good, most of you. Okay, um, Now, is that fact or fiction? You've been influenced to believe that, and I'll tell you shortly why I think you're influenced that way, but which way is it? If I was to take a ball, which the earth isn't a perfectly round ball. I realize that it's a little squashed at the top and the bottom, a little bit of a pear shape to it. But at the same time, let's just for argument's sake, let's just say take a ball. Does a ball have a top and bottom? It has a current top. If I put it here, you would say that the top of the ball is the one furthest from the floor, right? Uh, So I'm trying not to be technical. Maybe I'm getting myself into my hobby horse here too deep, so forgive me if I am. But if you put that ball out there where there's no floor and no ceiling, it's just out in space, and you have nothing to compare it to. There's no gravitational pull, nothing. It's just out there in space. Anything is top or bottom, right? And as we under the... as For the knowledge that man has of the universe, we don't have a ceiling and floor to the universe, right? It says the earth hangs upon nothing in Job. So if you have this world, even this universe, hanging in nothing, and it expands infinitely as far as man at least can go in either direction, we've never hit anything, so we can't, any top or bottom to it is an arbitrary reference that we've created. Do you follow me? There's no north is not up and south is down. In fact, I was born in Paraguay, so I got something on some of you. So was I born in the bottom half of the world? Nah, I wasn't. I mean, I was born in the top just as much as you were. Um, I mean, it just all depends what you want to call it, right? Um, now, I'll tell you why we call north up, and I'm not saying you're an idiot or there's something wrong with you if you do, but I want to give you this illustration. We call north up. Why? Why is north up and the south down to at least people in this hemisphere? You know, in the time I lived in the southern hemisphere, I honestly was not standing on my head. I walked just like I did right here. Uh, So where where do we come up with that? It comes back to those who control the present control the past, and those who control the past control the future. So map makers, initially map makers in the more developed world, mostly to all lived either right at the equator or north. Of the northern hemisphere, right? Think about it. That's where Europe is. That's where North America is. That's where a lot of the Bible lands would have. Some of them get close to the equator, but by far most of them are north. And so we were—they were used to relating to the magnetic north pole. If you used a compass for navigation, they point it pointed up. Which the magnetic north pole is actually not at the north pole, but still, your your um, compass, if you used one, would point up. And so they would draw their maps with the magnetic north pole at the top. If you have a flat piece of paper, you have a top and bottom. You gotta, can't just turn it whichever way. And so they would put it at the top. Well, today we don't even use compasses. And the, most of you, if you know about the Magnetic North Pole, don't even know much about it because you use GPS. And yet we still have top and bottoms to maps. In fact, I had a really intriguing idea. I'd, I'd love to find me an upside-down world map just to mess with people's minds because it'd be still just just as much up as the other way right so I don't know if I can find something like that but if you find one in my house that's what I'm doing because really it's an arbitrary frame of reference that you've been influenced to accept and believe but the reality is either somebody that's opposite from you may be just as right so I don't this is a bit of a touchy thing and in a way I don't want you to question wrong I don't want you to question truth this morning but I do think many times we're too unaccepting of things like the map, for instance, and we, realize, we don't really realize what all comes with it. Uh, Dan and I were having a good conversation here the other week about eternal security. And most of you as good Mennonites, if I would come and say, "Are, are uh, can you fall away from Christ? Can you choose to sin or are you eternally secure? And oh, you would say, well, I can fall into sin. Well, okay, so good, you got the fundamental maybe correct, but a lot of you, if I would really sit down and dig it out of you, you believe some concepts that accompany eternal security in your view of God that you're not even realizing how it's affecting your everyday life. And that's, I guess, my burden is that we would honestly consider and think about some of these. What else do I believe and accept as true that may not have its basis in truth and fact? As I dig into this thing a little bit deeper, I'd like to consider, in considering this thing of influences, I'm going to divide influences into direct influences and indirect. And I really don't want to spend just a lot of time on the direct. To me, a direct influence, an example of that would be Proverbs chapter 6, verse 27 and 28. Proverbs chapter 6, the last part of that chapter, he's talking about immoral relationships, especially between married people. And he makes the comment, Can man take fire into his bosom and not be burned? Can you walk upon hot coals uh, and his feet not be burned? Well, you know, if I had, let's say I had a coat on and you gave me a chunk of wood with fire on it and I wrapped it up inside my coat, that pretty soon I'd start smoking. Or at least hollering maybe first. I'm not sure which would come first. But it would be a bad effect, right? There'd be an immediate, that's direct. You can't put a flame inside your coat And expect not to go up in flames. It doesn't work that way. Uh, If you put a flame inside your coat, you're going to take up flames. That's very direct. There's no, there's nothing indirect about it. Now, uh, yesterday, my, all but one of my daughters were with me. I was out working because, well, anyways, let's just say some of us like taking off. So we have to work some days. And so I was trying to catch up yesterday. And we were listening to this uh, story of um, a family that was, homestead mining way back in a canyon. I think this was back in the 70s, 80s. And they didn't have running water and all the luxuries she had been used to, so uh, Mrs. decided to go get herself a hot bath for once. And so she had this uh, sort of like her big black trash cans over there, These big, but it was metal. And so it was the biggest thing she could find. So she built a fire and put this big metal trash can on it and heated up the water and then she thought the fire was pretty much out. So, I don't know. I guess she couldn't move it and did my asphalt, so she crawled into the thing right where it was, and uh, she was in there enjoying this warm water. Pretty soon her feet started burning, and this fire had sort of uh, kept burning, and so she tried to pull herself out. I don't know the whole situation, but she couldn't get herself out, and so she pulled her feet off the bottom and sort of squatted down and got stuck, totally stuck in this thing, and it just kept getting hotter and hotter. And... uh, Anyway, that's not the message this morning. But she did get out before she cooked. But she was thought she was cooking. And, uh, you know, that's somewhat indirect. She thought she'd taken care of the fire. She was in this container. She wasn't putting fire inside her clothing. And yet, till she was done, she's like, I'm burning up. Uh, indirect. You know, I would like to suggest to you that possibly... The more subtle an influence is in its initial effect. No, I shouldn't say it that way. I'm going to say a general influence in the way I'm thinking of it and the ones I want to consider are more subtle in their initial effect. In other words, it's not like just sticking a big piece of fire inside your coat and lighting up. It's more like getting into hot water that you think the fire is out and it keeps getting warmer on you. And then pretty soon... You almost don't realize you have a problem until you have a big problem because you were too focused on the other thing you know I've not actually tried this one but back to the hot water illustration I've been told if, if you take a frog and I, I would sort of like to try it but I didn't know if it was a kind thing to do but I've been told that if you take a frog and put it throw it into boiling water it will instantly jump out uh, if you know if it can at least um, now, if you put the same frog in, still in a container where he could jump out, but it's room temperature, and then you just turn heat on just very slow to where it just gradually warms up, he will never jump out until he boils to his death. And that's a little bit, uh, again, another illustration of what I'm trying to talk about is sometimes boiling water is more dangerous to a frog because he knows something's wrong. Get out of here. Get away from it. And, you know, in a lot of sins and a lot of things, of the radical nature or yeah of the very evil nature we know that they're wrong and I'm not saying we never face a temptation but if that water's boiling we know it's time to jump out but there's other things that are less clear shall we call them gray areas you call them what you want to but it's less clear and so sometimes till we see the effect of something it's almost too late and I'll give you another illustration of that Uh, that's really sad in my heart and I don't mean to be meaning of these groups or people or anything but I have my wife has an uncle that some years ago they decided that the way their church was operating wasn't really necessary they could have a whole lot more of the spirit and all that and that wasn't all wrong in fact there was a lot of truth mixed into that I would say yet today his children almost well actually especially one or two of them would say that what the Bible really says so far as pure lifestyle and stuff is not really what it says and that that didn't happen in fact uh, dad-in-law just told me this week he said that that man was a very concerned dad at one time but it was a process uh, influences he subjected himself to where even today he told me basically his words to me where he said It's like a bus referring to the church where it is now. He said it's like a bus that's going 75 mile per hour, and I'm only comfortable going 55. So he still doesn't, even he himself doesn't really want to call sin sin anymore, even though he's no longer there. And yet, what it's done to his family, so far as from a spiritual standpoint, without being harsh or critical, I would say is devastating. The frog didn't realize how hot the water was getting. And I don't say that in an unkind or flippant way. You know, we are quite careful as it regards the great dangers, whether it's physically, spiritually. None of us in our right mind would climb 60, 70 feet up and jump off, expecting a good result when we hit the ground. None of us would take a cup of poison and drink it, expecting to feel better when we get done. None of us, I I would say, I think I'm safe in saying, none of us would ever think of denying Christ as being God. None of us would ever consider murdering someone. And that's all good and right. I'm not saying we should do any of those things at all. But I feel, at least in myself, I, I can often be a bit blind and unconsidering of what I consider the lesser dangers, which are nevertheless just as real as in for and I'm some of these are hitting at myself is distracted driving you know when I'm riding with somebody and they're busy texting or doing things they shouldn't be when they're driving it makes me nervous but when I'm doing it well I've got 10 good reasons and I'm I'm a little bit better multitasker than most people Uh, I hope you get the sarcasm there Uh, so I excuse myself it's just as dangerous right how about an overindulgence in sh- sugar and salt? Again, I'm not faulting using sugar or salt. Don't get me that way. But at the same time, if I just need my sugar high and I need my salt doubled, I'm going to have some health consequences just as surely as if I jump off a silo. Uh, why is it that uh, as in Americans, we have heart disease as one of the number one things? It's partly because of our use of some overindulgence in some things. How about self-help philosophy? You know it's good to help yourself and not all of that is bad. At the same time, if I am given and just carried away with all the modern self-help philosophy that's out there and all this and that, I'm going to end up with a problem. It might be gradual. How about everyday stewardship of time and things? You know, that looks much different than shooting someone or go com- committing what we call a pretty gross sin. Yet yeah, at the same time, The way I view $5 and how I treat that $5 as I use it, as little as it gets these days, will have an effect on where I end up. I'm not trying to make too big a deal, but I personally think it will. We can't just dismiss these things as they don't matter. Could the subtle influences we are facing be just as or more dangerous than the blatantly wicked? Made me think of the story "Ricky, tikki tabby Anybody read that story? Okay, so good. You'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, the two snakes. Remember with a little boy there, and he was running, and the first snake that Ricky killed, uh, Cadet, what was his name, something like that, the dust snake. And He was there in the dust. The boy didn't see him. He didn't know he was there, yet he was stepping on him. And as I recall the story, the little snake said, be careful, he whispered, be careful, I'm death." You know, when the cobra was there threatening to bite the boy at the breakfast table, dad, mom, everybody was concerned and looking, and you know when a cobra or black mamba is there, it's in your face. I mean, uh, you you pay attention. When just a little couple-inch, little color of dust is there, it's just as deadly, but it's harder to see and recognize. And I'd like to suggest that's perhaps somewhat what we face in our spiritual battle at times. For me, at least, the subtle are more difficult to recognize and categorize. I get so consumed with talking about the cobras that are out there that I forget that potentially right beneath my feet lies just a certain death. Of course, I'm talking spiritually. Let's open your Bibles to uh, Proverbs. I'd like to see what the Bible says about influence before I go a lot further. What does the Bible, does the Bible recognize this thing of influence? Let's go to Proverbs 13, verse 20. Proverbs 13, verse 20. I sort of like this verse one. I like part of this verse. Uh, It says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. The people you associate with Will influence how you think and who you become. And I've been having some conversations in the last couple weeks, not so much geared with anyone here as in other areas where perhaps they separate church life, work life, social life a bit more than what we have the opportunity here. I'm going to say thankfully. Um, And then they want to sit there and tell me that that doesn't make any difference in how they relate. It's not true. They're just deceiving themselves. The way the people I walk with in my work, and I'm so blessed to work with the people I do, but they affect my spiritual life. The the people that I um should I say my friends affect how I share or don't share with you Sunday morning. I cannot just separate that all and think that's just non-existent. Don't, let's not fool ourselves. You cannot enjoy and participate, And if you look at the word, um, the companion of fools, it means basically you cannot enjoy and participate in unprofitable talk and friendships and remain unaffected by them. Thankfully, a wholehearted association and participation in good and truth also affects us to the positive. And we're just not this island that's cut off. The discussions I have at work, maybe it's too direct for me for some people, but the discussions I have at work do flow into what I feel like sharing Sunday morning sometimes, right? The way I relate to my friend is sometimes affected by what I heard in Sunday school or somewhere, praise God. And if there's a correlation, let's not try to disconnect things. Maybe a bit more on that later. Let's go to Proverbs twenty-seven, seventeen. 17, uh, since you're in Proverbs. Proverbs 27, 17 says this. Aaron sharpeneth Aaron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Now we've sort of got away from sharpening things to some degree. And when we do sharpen, we generally use a whetstone because it's faster. But it makes me think of the teeth of a Beaver. Do you know that beaver's teeth are so, God made them in such a way that every time he closes his mouth, they go over top of each other, right? And those teeth remain super sharp because they wear against each other. They're always being sharpened. And that's a little bit the same principle as Aaron's sharpening. Aaron, like I said, it's a very slow process, but if you have a piece of equipment where two Aaron pieces slide over each other on a regular basis, they will become sharp and they will remain sharp. And he's saying that's how it is as we relate together as in our friendships, in our business. As we continually rub shoulders with people, they sharpen us. If you're dealing with somebody that's a bit of a crook, you will be pick up quicker on crooked dealings than somebody that never does, right? That's in a negative way. If you deal with somebody that's generous in the way they treat their customers, hopefully you will become more generous in that way. The kind of people, the kind of conversations, the kind of attitudes, the influence around you will greatly influence how you consider and think. And I'm going to insert just a thought here. I don't want to run this rabbit trail too far. But may I tell you, do not surround yourself with like thinkers. You know what I mean by that? That's a temptation I think all of us have is to try to find people that think like we do. As It's comfortable. We won't have to argue with him. We won't have to defend ourselves around him because we think alike, more or less. Sure, I would say it's more comfortable. But you know, at the best, at a minimum, let's say, a like thinker doesn't do much for you other than make you comfortable. At the worst, a like thinker will lead you astray. Maybe that's said too strong. You will lead each other astray. If you think just like me and I have a weak spot in my life, which I do, and I just talk to you and I just counsel with you, we're actually not going to be good for each other, are we? Because at the end of the day, we agree. And so therefore, as we agree, we will become united in something that's less than truth because we agree. Seek out people that challenge and stretch you. Make friends with those that won't let you be completely comfortable. That takes maturity. Let's go on. Um, I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians now, uh, if you want to turn your Bibles there. Some of you are getting tired. Why don't we stand a bit? 1 Corinthians. Uh, first verse is in chapter 5, just the last part of verse 6. I thought it was interesting. In the New Testament, leaven, the word leaven or some form of it, it is found uh eight times and two of those are positive the six times are negative and interestingly the two positives seem to be repeats the one is in matthew the one is in luke where christ was talking so it seems like it was the same conversation so leaven overall is used in a negative sense so first corinthians chapter 5 verse 6 the last part of the verse know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump and I meant, and I ran out of time. This is one of these messages where I just couldn't get done. Uh, I meant to get a bread recipe. Uh, so maybe you ladies have to tell me. But how many cups of, if you're making, I don't know, what's a batch of bread? How many cups of flour is it having? Can you tell me, hon, more or less? Not sure? Okay. But I'm guessing you put, if you're making a, how many loaves, but you, how, many, how big of a batch do you make at the bakery, Tina? Twenty-five cups. And how much leaven do you put in there, then? Half a cup. So about one to twenty-two? Rough. You know, um, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I uh, So one to twenty-two is what, on that one. You know, let me say it this way. and Thinking about leaven in the negative sense, it doesn't take much pride to be proud, does it? How much pride do you have to have in your life before you're a proud person? Just enough to be proud. Uh, I don't know how much that is. I have not weighed pride recently, but uh, I guess you could try it. How much deception does it take to be deceived? There again, that's a hard one to categorize, but any deception, I'm deceived in one area. I'm not saying I'm deceived in everything, but if I believe any deception in any area, I have some deception in my life. Um, let me say, another way to say it, it doesn't take many steps to get off the narrow path. I had a conversation on, on this trip the last couple of weeks with someone. And he was just saying about the world in our own heart. You know, how much world do I need in my heart until I'm worldly? Just one motive for Joe is worldliness, isn't it? I don't need all ten of them to be worldly. Uh, it doesn't take effort to go astray. Let's go to First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 and 34 now. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 and 34 says, "Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Awake to righteousness, and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God, I speak to your shame." I looked up a number of words here in strong, and I'm not going to break them down in individually. But if I was to put this in my own words, maybe a little more modern English, I would say, do all you can to remain safe. Do not roam from that which is proven to be true. Useless and worthless reading and communication will cause worthwhile and useful habits to wilt and shrivel away. Going to verse 34, awake, arise arouse yourself and focus on truth and righteousness do all you can to avoid sin because some of you though you call yourselves christians you do not know and understand god and this is shameful you can be seated again thank you Uh, some of us wake up a bit faster than others but i like the analogy of their awake arise You know, in a physical sense, it's fine if you want to wake up slow, help yourself. Some days I like to, too. But somebody that is just a super slow waker-upper probably will not make the best rescue person if they're on call, will they? Because if you need half an hour to wake up and you get called to an emergency in that time, I mean, I just know if I'm stuck in a vehicle that's threatening to catch fire, I don't want a half-asleep person trying to get me out. I'd prefer they were completely awake, right? And as we walk the spiritual way, we need to be completely awake. Can I say all the time? It's not going to, today I'm going to take it a little easier. Today I can relax. Today, no, you need to be awake, analyzing, considering, thinking about what you're doing. Question for myself. Am I in pursuit of God and knowledge of him or have other things distracted and entangled me? I'm going to quickly give you a list of what I'm going to call influencers, things that have influenced me. And we could start basic like parents, I have down what I've been taught. In my observation of people, I would say we will either accept or react to what we have been taught from an early age. We will either accept or react. To do something different than either just accepting or reacting requires Deliberate thought, right? I'm not saying it's not done. I'm just saying you have to think about it. And in that, I guess if I could challenge myself and challenge you, sometimes we see some people that just thought, almost looks like thoughtlessly, just do like they've been taught, and we say, ooh. And then we almost categorize more of a rebellious nature as a thinking person, and that's not the case. <laughs> when I'm promoting thinking, I'm not promoting rebellion at all. There's a big difference. But, I, but neither am I promoting complacency where I just do like I've been taught because it's a thing to do. And if you want to be on, I guess I think if we'd want to be honest in our churches, we have a problem with too many people just filling their church bench, doing what's expected of them because that's what they've been taught. And it's not wrong to do something you've been taught, but you need to make it personal. This is what I believe. This is the God I seek. And just reacting to it, honestly, is no better. Again, there needs to be the thing of seeking God in it and being open and honest about it. Okay, another influencer is what those around me think. It's still important to me. I would say maybe the field has narrowed somewhat with age. I don't know what it is. You know when you're in your teens uh actually i'm sort of going through that now at home am i not uh where everybody does stuff perhaps or uh and that's very common i did it to my dad and it's just not quite true and yet sort of the whole world's opinion is pretty important to you right uh at some stages and that's normal i'm not running anybody down that has that but you know finally maybe as you get a little older you start carrying not that you care less about some people in God kind of way but you care less about their opinions because finally when you get my age and if you were still trying to please everybody it's a hopeless task let me tell you no. if you're 10 and you're getting there if you're 16 and are trying it um, it'll drive you crazy uh, so sooner or later you get to the point where you decide you're going to please a couple people <laughs> and go with that and um, but it still matters so this influences me and so be careful who you whose good opinion you want like i said if you want everybody's you're never going to it. good luck with that but i'll let you work through that but if you're my age and you're still trying you're worrying about the wrong people it's going to get you in trouble okay going on three and another other influencer is what i listen to i am actually not i want to be clear i'm not against audio and i'd listen to quite a few things myself But I would say stay broad in what you listen to. And if I may uh, expound on that, when when somebody regularly listens to one person and they drink at that fountain on a regular basis, it makes me a bit queasy because you're going to follow their imbalances. So I'm not saying don't listen to them, but I'm saying don't listen to just one person or type of people. Keep it broad if you're going to listen to audio, whether that's books, whether that's podcasts, whether that's Maybe even music to some extent, uh, messages, even if I preach. If you listen to messages on the Strawberry Mennonite Church's website, please don't just listen to Joe's messages. You've got to listen to Ernie and Jason and George's and whoever else. Uh, you'll become imbalanced whenever you overfeed on one person's train of thought. Uh, Four, another influencer is what I read. I wish I could spend more time, but all these are almost a message in their own. But let me say this. I'm thinking probably especially more of stories. I'm so thankful for all the good books that we can have today. And I would say it seems to me that an avid reader, and I am one, that to really enjoy a book, you almost put yourself in it. Would you agree with me? And when you do that, the hero or the heroine almost... You put yourself in their shoes to some extent. And with that process, if they're not what they should be, you will begin to assimilate some of their values and things if you do a lot of a certain type. So be careful. I'll move on. Another influencer is what I view. I had a young man from our circles recently tell me that videos are the new books. I want to tell you they're not. we had better be careful about the books we read i don't want to but if we're into entertainment videos we're going to have a problem you're going to simulate and take even more of that in and i'm not anti-video as a teaching tool or an instruction but when it becomes an entertainment thing friends we just can't think we can be entertained by the world around us and somehow maintain separation it's a joke it's not going to work and uh, you're just fooling yourself and probably nobody else if you think you can be entertained by what the world considers entertaining and somehow still live a spiritual life. It's not going to work for you and I'm not going to waste more time on that one for the moment. What I experience is also an influence. You know the things I've been through vary somewhat and probably no two people in this audience have had the exact same experience throughout their life and that's good. Because it gives us a broader pool to draw from when we consider things. And so when we sit down and talk about issues, one brother is going to have this experience. And so he's going to feel a little different. I'm going to have my experience. And let's not despise each other's experiences, but bring them together to build something strong. But I still am influenced by my experience. And that's going to be. But don't let that experience rule you. If you've had a negative church experience, for instance, don't bring that here and superimpose it here. Uh. Let God put something better in your life as we seek him together. Number seven, an influencer is who I admire. Maybe I touched on that a little bit earlier about um, trying to, yeah, wanting to people to think well of me. But who do I admire? You know, who do you admire and why do you admire them? You know, Bible makes it pretty clear that this happens. In talking about marriage, he says that a husband does the thing, seeks how he may please his wife and the wife her husband, and we could do it. We, we admire people, and I'm not trying to suggest you somehow be this, I don't know, person that doesn't admire anyone or anything, but be careful. Who are the people you look up to, and why is it? Is it based on their godliness, or is it based on their business acumen? Is it based on their prestige? Is it based on their, the, the influence they have? Be very careful on who you admire because that will play a huge role in how you go about your life. And the last one, influencers, what do I desire? If we could just somehow put it up in front of what everybody in this audience, what was what they really wanted out of their life, if they could just have one thing, what that thing would be, would really tell a lot about you. And I'm not saying the good Mennonite answer to what you desire. I'm talking to what if somehow God would just bluntly jerk it out of Joe and hold it out for you. See, what would it be? Would it be something that had me crawling underneath the pulpit? Would it be something that I could stand with? What do you really desire? Okay, moving on. Almost all things start small and yet up being so very far from small. So in describing influence, I'm going to use another illustration. How many of you have been to the coast? Like the ocean? good almost everybody I love I love being at the ocean just it's a little bit for me it's probably a little bit of a maybe a spiritual experience a little bit the same I have on a big mountain or something just seeing something so vast so whatever so God made that's so out of control for man and one thing that fascinates me about the ocean is bear with me a bit here is the tide y'all know what a tide is right Okay, good. Let's think about tide just a bit. So what causes the tide? Can anybody tell me what causes tide? High tide, low tide is caused by the moon. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. I'm thinking of the the yeah, the, the the distance it travels like you're there. I've been there different times. You'll see maybe the water's way high and it's like or say way high you can see that the water never comes up much higher than what it is next time you're there and it's out a ways and it's like how does that change that's what I'm referring to as tide so it's the moon now isn't it strange if I jump off a ladder does the moon affect my fall very little I mean I guess if I found a thousand foot tall ladder it might pull me and I fell for a long time I'm not saying it would pull you slightly one way or the other Um, but for the most part no at the same time, the moon does exert a gravitational pull on the Earth enough so that when you have a large body of water like an ocean, it actually can raise it a couple feet on one side or the other of that ocean depending on where it is. And there's some variation in that, so I'm going to talk averages. They say the average tide on the U.S. coast is somewhere between 6 to 8 feet, that it fluctuates from high to low and then back low to high. So... Uh, To go from a high to a low, from a low to a high, takes six hours and 12 and a half minutes. It's because the moon day length is a little different than the sun. Or, yeah, than the sun. And so, it takes six six hours, 12 and a half minutes, to go from a complete high to the complete low, or from the complete low to the complete high. This tidal range varies a lot, but like I said, it's six to 10 feet in the US, so let's make it eight feet as an average that means that the level changes is about 0.26 of an inch per minute which is a quarter inch per minute now i don't know how many of you sat at the coast i have and it's interesting you sit down right at the water's edge let's say it's a hot day and you want your feet in but you don't want to be all wet so you just sit there where the waves just come in at least in the gulf you can do that sometimes and you know, I wouldn't see that water coming up, yet it's interesting. You don't have to sit there all that long to you scoop back just a little bit if you're trying to maintain a certain distance. A quarter inch per minute adds up. Now, let's think about this. If I was to stand right at the water's edge at low tide, let's say the tide's coming in, it would take four and a half hours for that water to cover me, my height. Four and a half hours. So that's pretty gradual. If you told me I had to stay there till. The tide came up here. I'd like, ooh, that's a long time just to stand at one spot. So, while it is quite gradual, and let's say hardly noticeable, in time it is no less dangerous or deadly. If you crawl down, <clears throat> excuse me, if you crawl at a cliff where the water comes up the cliff six feet, and you, you spend your day there, and you get cut off, and you don't have a way of escape, that's deadly, even though it's gradual. It's, it's, you know, if you would tie a big rock to me and throw me in the lake, it would take a couple minutes for me to drown at best, uh, and that would be over. Now, if you put me in tide, it would take, like I said, four and a half plus hours. Yet at the same time, it would still happen. So many things in life are like this. Let's consider, like I said, music is what started me off, so I'm not going to talk a lot about it, but Music. You know, I really, really doubt, and I trust there's no one here, at least if you haven't been involved in raw music, that in the next week will be sorely tempted to go to listen to hardcore rock music. You just, it's not a temptation you're going to face. But that doesn't mean that at least some of us in the next week will likely be tempted to listen to music that is less than good for our spiritual life. But we don't start at the deep part. We get our toes wet a little bit first. You know, thankfully, none of us would dream of denying Christ or denying that he's the son of God. Yet some of us will struggle with assimilating and accepting things that when we follow through with that thought, we may end up there. I guess if I could say it this way, that's one burden I have in this message Is you know, I've gone to church with people in this very church house. They sat where we're sitting, who think just like we're thinking. And yet today they're in a place that if I would suggest you have potential to end up there, you would be offended with me. They're in a place you went dream or think of being. Let me ask you a question. How did they get there and are you any different? I propose to you that we are not different. I didn't say that to be critical of anyone. I said it because they sat where we're sitting and they thought like we think. And the tide came in and they were influenced and they didn't realize what was happening the only way for me I personally feel is to prevent this of course a close walk with God and to recognize my danger recognize my danger you know I maybe I'll just share a little bit from my heart here somebody had told me I think one brother here after I came back from Bible school last year he said hey you're sort of an emotional wreck when you come back to Bible school or something like oh I'm sorry I gotta do better on that but um, that's probably one thing is as I go I've got annuals For 12 years of teaching now and as I go through those annuals and I look at the amount of youth that have left churches like ours I'm going to say that we are dabbling with influences we're like that frog in the water with the heat being turned up and we don't really realize what all is happening And I'd like to wake us up. Because I don't want my children to go that well. Human nature loves to disconnect the idea from the action. That's just an idea. I'm going to disconnect it from the action. We love to then disconnect the action from the result. And the result from the consequence. And this is foolishness. May I say this? I've thought about it for a while, and I think I'm going. You think about it. I'm not trying to say this is Bible truth, but think about it. I'm going to say that unthinkingness—the lack of thinking and what—and trying to consider what path we're on in things—has done more damage than premeditated wickedness to the church. Unthinkingness or the lack of thinking consequences. Uh, who can remember Charles Hamilton? Anybody tell me what his theme was? I think it was the last time he was here. Anybody? They absolutely do, friends. Ideas always have consequences. And we're only fooling ourselves when we think they aren't. And that's where I'm coming from when I say unthinkingness has done more damage than premeditated wickedness. When somebody tells me I just don't think about that or I haven't thought about that, it's fine to a point. But get busy. Consider it. Consider carefully the influences in your life. Be very careful. I'm going to say anything outside of Scripture should be viewed with a great deal of skepticism. I'm not saying don't read other things. I'm not saying don't listen to other things. But realize at the end of the day, the only thing I can actually completely believe is the Bible. Even when I preach, have a little bit of suspicion that Joe may take me off on the wrong tack somewhere. That's great. Remember the Bereans? It says they were more noble than those Jews of Thessalonica because they searched the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Much more than giving a testimony that, oh, your message really blessed me. What would really bless me is if we'd all go home and when Joe says something I don't know, study it out in the Bible and find out what God actually has. There's another old saying I heard growing up. Paper is very patient and so is about any other media type you want to choose. Paper is very patient and so is any media. You know, it used to be paper, books, articles, magazines were the predominant, maybe outside influence coming into our homes, newspapers. And with that, the thought was said, don't believe everything you read, amen. And you know, now I don't subscribe to a newspaper because guess what? I can look at any newspaper in the world, pretty much, that I want to off my computer. doesn't make what I read there any more accurate. In fact, I'm not sure. I think we're so inundated, so covered up, just flooded with information. I'm going to tell you, by far, the vast majority of that information is done with an agenda and done with a twist that is not here to build God's kingdom. I'm not saying that it's all wrong, that it's no truth in any of it. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying it's done with an agenda outside of building God's kingdom. So here for me, question the motive. Not necessarily in asking you to be critical, but what do these people stand to gain or lose? Do they have some political motive in what they're promoting? Most of them do. Do they have some financial gain in it? Probably so. And so then what you read, what you take in, take it with a grain of salt. Because they are going to project a narrative, a story that they want, they need you to swallow to give them so that it promotes their political views, so that it gives them more money in their pocket. Be very leery of special revelations. Oh, don't you see, I don't know, maybe you've never gotten, but dad and mom uh, being a little bit of, I'm going to say a little bit of health fanatics, they used to get the queer stuff in the mail. I mean, just reading some of those papers were enough to make your stomach roll over because they were promising you a longer life if you would buy this book and if you would avoid this food, it would do this for you. I'm not saying there was absolutely no truth anywhere in the paper, but be quite frank with you, most of it was just bosh junk. Be very leery of special revelations and inside knowledge things no one else knows this is the only place you can find this really since when does wisdom die with one person my bible tells me it don't you know it's very hard for us something about the way we're wired it's very hard for us to believe that someone would in a large degree would write or promote falsehoods i've read somewhere that americans believe and this has been some years ago so maybe it's not accurate but believe somewhere between 60 to 80 percent of what they read well, no wonder we're a foolish nation. When you start reading just even a small portion of the stuff you can read, if you're going to believe even 40% of it, you're going to be one idiot from truth because it's just there's probably more untruth out there than there is truth, honestly. I am not here to encourage isolationism where we don't read anything, don't know anything. No, I'm not here to promote ignorance. Where we just are stupid. But I am here to tell you that in anything that any man promotes, especially in anything where they pretend that it is above question, it prompts me to question. You know, I have a book, and I sort of like the book, where he um, goes through and he, of all things, it's a book. I wish I could remember the title, but probably just a good But he goes through and covers a lot of the crazy things people in this country believe on, like, science stuff that's not true and on and on. Well, good and fine, but do you know what he does? About three-quarters of the way through the book, he has a section on why creationism is false. And so I'm supposed to sit there and believe everything he says up to that chapter. Now this is... Oh, I don't believe that because I'm a Bible-believing Christian, then I believe the rest of it. Excuse me. Uh, he's got some truth in there, I think, from what I could compare with Bible and stuff, but he's also got some really messed up stuff. So be very careful. Okay, moving on a bit more, and I'm going to put some burden on you here. I very much believe in and want to encourage an openness and sharing in our church. That's what I want, and that's what I think we need. We need to encourage openness. We need to counsel with each other. We need to share our hearts with each other. We need to get each other's viewpoints. But with this comes a responsibility and a duty for every one of us. With this comes a danger we need to guard against. Because if any one of us or if any number of us become influenced by something that is less than true, and in turn we influence others, it will have a domino effect, right? So it's not that I can just go listen to any podcast I want to, listen to any audiobook I want to, and then pretend, well, I don't know, and sort of maybe get involved in some of their strange theories or their promotions and somehow think, ah, it's not affecting anybody but me. It is. It's going to have an effect on my friends and on the church. Because what I believe and promote will become, because of my relationship with you as a brother or sister, will become something that you will either need to accept or reject because I believe it. And then that in turn makes friction sometimes, especially if you face the rejection. You know, when I take in twisted information and fail in doing careful evaluation to and of truth, I not openly open myself up to deception, but potentially become an avenue whereby you will face the danger of deception through me. May I again say, many people, including some who used to be here with us, have been led astray by unquestioningly accepting the package of someone else's philosophy. They heard and appreciated some of the truth that was shared in it, and they failed to analyze it as a whole. And if there's something that's concerned me, I guess I'll just say this, about the counseling movement and so on, it's this very thing, in that when you find somebody, let's say I've got a struggle in my life, And I found somebody that can explain it in a way that makes sense to me, in a way that helps me. It becomes very difficult not to just believe everything they say. And when I do that, it puts me on a path to following their mistakes and their errors. So I'm not saying that we don't learn anything, but be very careful. You know, I also have seen people who felt their views and their counsel were unappreciated and undervalued in their church brotherhood. And there's multiple aspects to this. But I would also tell you, in at least some of these cases, as I observed them, these people were involved in sharing things that were very questionable. This required those around them to be on guard. You remember that verse that says, A prophet's not without honor, save in his own country? Some of that's from the carnal nature. But the other thing is, if I'm here and I'm promoting questionable things, I shouldn't really be offended if when I preach Sunday morning, you sort of look, "Uh, are you sure about that? Because if my life is not built on solid truth in everything from the news I read to the health views I have, it's right for people to question me. You know, we live in a time, and I mentioned this, of unprecedented ease in sharing of information. Let me ask a question I'd like for you all to tell me. Has this led to less or more deception, the ease of sharing information? I would have sort of liked to argue against that it does more. But the more I thought about it, I think I lost it. I'm going to give up. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13 and 15 says, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. That from a child that has known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Oh boy, this is one of these messages that just didn't come together and it's still not. Okay, I apologize, but I guess I'll try to finish. Um, May I look at that verse especially? But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. That sort of brings me to the next point. Shop local, I'm going to call it, or know them which influence you. You Most of us would readily say deception is worsening, yet we generally mean that for others and not for ourselves. It's no problem for me to tell you that, yes, information technology has made deception worse. Unless I have to own that I am being impacted by it, right? And unless you're going to stop and say, how has this impacted me, you're on a dangerous path. Because I'm going to have to accept that I'm impacted just as much as the people who I think are, right? I need to realize inclination towards and possibility of deception within myself. I have to take deliberate thought and action to avoid deception. I will not somehow accidentally be kept in truth. Uh... If y'all don't mind, turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5. And I'll stop with this point. But the shop local or know, know them which influence you. I, I guess I would just, while I'm not against audiobooks, while I'm not against, I don't use podcasts much. But if, I'm not saying you can't do it. But I think we're digging a hole that's having results that we don't like. So let's follow through. Okay, everybody stand. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, verse 12. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12. The first part of the verse. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you. And Then I'm going to read 2 Thessalonians 3, 7. So turn over there. 2 Thessalonians 3, 7. Before I read that, I'd like to tell you that the carnal nature and the immature heart appreciate truth from unknown people. Uh, it makes me think of a young lady that had moved to quite a different setting from what she grew up and that's fine I'm not trying to make a comment about that but she came home one time and told her mom she says oh we get such good teaching in this church and her mom like what you know and when she told her mom's like well we've heard that all our lives and uh so it's back to the old saying a new broom sweeps better you know that Understand it to a degree, and I'm not trying to be harsh, but I'm going to say that when truth comes easier from people I don't know and I don't know well, there's something going on that appeals to my carnal nature and immature heart. I'm not slamming anyone out there who's sincerely sharing truth. Yet, between communication technology and the ease of travel, we're digging a hole in that we're often listening to people whose lives we really don't know very well, and then we're taking this truth and we're marrying this truth. And probably being human at marrying the person more than what we realize, and then turning around wondering why that philosophy has a problem in our home. Let's go to Second Thessalonians three seven. I just want you to notice these verses. I was amazed. I knew it said some of this, but to hook it together was sort of enlightening for me. Second Thessalonians three verse seven: For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us. For we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you. And then he goes on to say how that they were an example by their lives. Paul is appealing to them to follow the gospel, not just based on what he preached, but on the way he lived and what they actually saw him doing. Now, let's go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, sort of a continuation. One:5, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Uh, let's go over to chapter two, verse five. Read a couple more verses here, First Thessalonians chapter 2 verse five, "For neither at any time use we flattering words as ye know, or a cloak of covetousness God is witness." Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherished her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. Notice verse 9. For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable or... Yes, basically be using up their resources. Unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. He appeals to their memory. Y'all can remember this. Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children, that you would walk worthy of God which hath called you into his kingdom and glory. Okay, you can be seated. You know, what is the result of what this person believes and teaches? How does it affect their everyday life and action? And it's preposterous for us to think that we can go to a conference or that we can listen to a number of messages and then think we know a person. We have an artificial sense of knowing, but we really don't know. Do they wake up fast or slow? Do they wake up happy or grumpy? We don't know. And I had a young man here talking with me recently, and he was asked, basically a question he asked me, he said, why is it that this other group uh, was not a group, and uh, it's a non-Mennonite group, and I'm not trying to run them down again, but he said, why is it that there are so much more on fire for Christ than what we are? I'm not God. I don't know. And I think while... If they were on fire for god more than we are god bless them maybe we've got some growth to do that's one side of it the other side of it is i happen to know that the group he was referring to he basically saw them one time for a three-day seminar and he formed his conclusion based on that well guess what when i go have a week of meetings most of the people up front are not going to realize that I have a bit of a struggle with being patient with my children some of the time, do they? Am I less on fire for God because of that? I don't know. This is something God wants to work on me. And I would say that media and technology have made even worse because now we can sort of present this view of who we are that is really detached from the reality of who we are. And then We look at that and we're like, oh, those people must be more godly or must, well, I understand. It's a little disheartening when the people that you live with are human, aren't they? Isn't it? I've got that struggle. But guess what? At the end of the day, I'm sort of glad I get to be a human uh, when I struggle a bit. And so I'm not here to excuse us where we need more fire for Christ, but let's realize that so often we look at these things and we're forming opinions that's not based on full data and we're being influenced by things and thinking that these things have a result that they actually don't and I've seen it over and over. Uh, I'm going to say something real quick here. When I am more interested in what someone somewhere else has to say about my life than I am about the people living around me, walking the path with me, I have an issue I need to address. When I have a greater appreciation for a messenger that I do not know, or do not know well, it is an indication of a carnal and or immature heart. I am absolutely not against inviting other people to come speak to us. I'm joy that we get speakers in for revival meetings, and so I'll take it to that extent. At the same time, I will just tell you, and I don't know if I'm getting in trouble for this, but I wish we would invite Ernie to have revival meetings for us. I think we should get Jason and George to have a financial seminar for us. Because I can evaluate their sharing more effectively as I have a front row seat in how it works for them. Right? When you pull somebody from some other state here and set it here, I mean, he can make it look good. But is it actually good? I don't know. I'm not here to judge him, but I'm going to say I don't know. And that not knowing in and of itself would tell A sincere observer lets some room for doubt when things look better than what they are. Personally, I have chosen and I feel better in believing in a known amateur. And I'm not trying to call any of them amateur necessarily. But I would prefer listening and having the help of a known, somebody I know, but yet maybe an amateur in their field, than I would having an unknown expert come in and tell me how to run my business. I would. I would. Just simply because I know how it works. I'm going to say one other thing. I love our Sunday school class. I hope all the other Sunday school classes have a good time, as good a time as we do in the men's class. And, uh, but you know, man, I'm going to challenge you a bit. And it's not that this is terrible, and that's one reason I appreciate it. But I've seen it worse in other places. But let's keep this. Is when we share in su- Sunday school, I personally want to hear your thoughts And what blessed you as you read these verses and studied them and prayed about them? I'm not against bringing up a definition or saying somebody said so-and-so necessarily to a degree. But if I want to know what Matthew Henry or Menno Simon says about a passage, I can go read them, okay? I'd rather have your thoughts. I'll just close The influence I allow in my life will affect the path I choose, how I walk, and the destination I reach. We cannot avoid being influenced, not at least in some ways, but we do choose how to respond to the influences in our lives. And we can choose to remove ourselves from influences that take us the wrong way. And I think sometimes we need to. So God bless you. Let's kneel for prayer.